You're listening to Defender Radio. It's May 5th, 2016, and this is Michael Howie bringing you a special report episode of Defender Radio. The wildfires in Fort McMurray this week have destroyed homes and ways of life. And as residents fled as part of mandatory evacuations, the question lingers for everyone watching. Will life ever be the same again? There is little that many of us can do to help those who have lost everything, but donate to organizations like the Red Cross or the Canadian Disaster Animal Response Team when able, and offer a consoling hug to someone in need. We can also look around our own homes at times like these and see the many things that make our lives special, including our pets. Having plans in place for when emergency strikes is an important step for preventing tragic loss. And today, we connected with two different individuals to talk about such plans. First, we'll hear from Donna Wackerbauer, a member of the Canadian Disaster Animal Response Team who has seen firsthand the intensity of the aftermath from wildfires and understands the need for preparation. We'll also hear from Louise Leibenberg, a predator-friendly rancher at the Grazery in Alberta, who has personally lost pets, guardian animals, and livestock during a horrific fire last year. Building out an emergency plan has been vital for her business, and she shares with us the importance of thinking through contingencies. We'll start now with Donna from the Canadian Disaster Animal Response Team. Could you tell me a little bit about, uh, you know, your your entry into the world of disaster response? Well, um, I took my first training uh, of May in uh, 2003 with Noah's Wish. And shortly after that, um, the fires of BC, uh, firestorm of BC broke out. So that would be uh, Kelowna, the Kamloops area. Um, and then, uh, basically I've just gone forward from there and, uh, when Noah's Wish disbanded, I then moved to, uh, CDART, which is the Canadian Disaster Animal Response Team. Well, and what qualifies as a disaster? I think that's an interesting question because, uh, you know, I'm from Southern Ontario, um, and, and there was a year a few, uh, a while back where we called in the army because there was a lot of snow in Toronto, as many people remember. Um, and, you know, I think it's clear that what's happening in Fort McMurray right now is a, is a disaster, an emergency, but what qualifies sort of in between those two things? Well, I think it's, there's a, depends on um, your, uh, you know, who's involved. I mean, for somebody who has a house fire, that can be considered a disaster in their world. Um for us as responders, um, you know, we we respond to typically the larger uh, scenarios, you know, the wildfires, the hurricanes, uh, tornadoes, that kind of thing. That would be, you know, what I would probably classify as a disaster. Okay, and uh, what what does CDART do? I mean, do you, do you sort of show up and have flowing capes in the wind, or is there a, a procedure that's followed? What what does CDART do when disaster strikes? Yes, well, we we always um, we never go in unannounced. We we always are in communications with the emergency um, management. Um, 
we are invited in and because there are other groups um, you know smaller like emergency social services a lot of those groups have their own pet care uh, portions of, of you know that uh, how do I say this they've got their own division of pet care people so those people would be trained and they would respond to to uh, their local situations Okay, and that's also when you're going to have your local animal services, um, whatever range they are, they're going to be involved in that too. Correct. Whether it's, you know, animal control or SPCA, um, you know, it just depends where, what, what area they're in and what services they have available. Okay, and I, I do see an interesting note on the website that um, CDART has offered the services of the mobile support team to emergency services, but they're saying do not self-deploy. Can you explain what that means? Because I think that will be of interest to a lot of people who are watching this unfold on the news. Self-deployment is when somebody just takes it upon themselves to go into a zone um, and start rescuing without a team without uh, knowledge having you know the emergency services um, knowing that they're there um, you know uh, we see a lot on every fire we or every situation we see a lot of people that they just the adrenaline surge that happens when you just have this need you need to help you need to help you want to help you want to be a part of it um, but that can be extremely dangerous and it's a liability for uh, for not only the first responders who are trying to put out the fires and, and keep people safe, but it's it's a liability for yourself, too, if you go in there. Something I've seen coming up a lot on social media, and this is on the Fur Bears social media, on my personal social media, is people saying, I would never leave a pet behind, um, and there's no excuse for leaving a pet behind. And I think that's something that, in your position, you will have that unique uh, uh, understanding of it's not always a choice. Um, could you explain a bit about what's happening when, you know, when there's a mandatory evacuation? Um, like, is it something that's a choice? No, it's, there's times where it isn't a choice. We cannot predict when evacuation orders will be handed down. There are so many scenarios, you know, if, if you, are at work, if you had to go pick your child up from school, if you had to take your grandma or mom or somebody to the hospital, there's there's a million different scenarios that people would just not be at home. It's it's just bad, you know, it's timing, it's bad, you know, it's, it just happens, life happens. And you can't, you know, none of us have the crystal ball to be able to say, okay, well, I better not leave because the evacuation order is going to be handed down. You can't predict that. The other thing that's uh, coming up a lot too is um, that, and I've seen this in a, a few articles now, I, I find very interesting that pets have an unusual ability to survive a fire. Um, is that something you've witnessed yourself? Definitely. Definitely. Um, I've, I've not only... Well, I, I, I know it. I know it for a fact. Um, I was able to um, go down to Sri Lanka during the tsunami and I, I saw, you know, they knew. I talked to the locals and they knew, the animals knew. They have a sense. They, they, they hone into the sense, I think we all have it, but we never listen to it. 
but they do. The animals do listen to it. And if they, you know, if it's at all possible, they will leave, you know, they will get out of Dodge, so to speak, um, to, to find safety and shelter. Yeah, and that's one uh, one of the experts I was listening to, um, oh, sorry, I was reading about, I think it was in McLean's, was saying that they'll often find cats and dogs hidden in the lower parts of a closet where there's less smoke and more oxygen. And that's how, like, they just sort of naturally do that, what we have to teach people how to do. Yeah, yes, yeah. It's, it's instinct, instinct, Mother Nature, you know, gave them the instinct and that's, it's fortunate for them. We have that too, like I said, but we just don't listen to it typically as humans because we think we know it all. <laughs> One of the things I really want to talk about is emergency planning. Um, I think the disaster response is something that's highly specialized. And I know uh, in my time as a news reporter talking to, um, oh, there's the dogs helping out. In my time as a news reporter, I know talking to firefighters, police officers, EMS, it was always about having a plan. Um, and that makes their jobs easier when disaster does strike. So what kind of things does uh, do you and CDART uh, look at in terms of getting people prepared for emergencies? Well, every year, um, you know, we, we emphasize, and I personally emphasize to people, always have a plan. You never know when disasters will happen there as i said there's no magic crystal ball there to tell us um whether it's a gas leak all the way up to you know a scenario like this with a major fire um we don't know so it's always good to have a plan you start with networking with your neighbors um and this is long before a situation happens you network with your neighbors in the event that you're not at home you know your neighbors have a key they have access to your animals um, and everybody covers everybody's back and, um, you know, you make sure you have a stock of food for at least three days, medicine, if your pets are on medicine, and this goes for your family members as well, water, um, you know, cages or crates or whatever that you need, um, make sure they've got identification tags on them. Um, yeah, just general overall planning it's just before it happens and then that way it lessens the chances of you know animals being left behind uh, and in terms of a first aid kit i've heard so many variations on a dog first aid kit from you know you need just you know a blanket and some water and some treats up to you know three different types of syringes with <laughs> iv fluids and um you know, like, is there yeah. a happy middle ground that people, like, and again, keeping in mind that we probably want this to be affordable for people, because um, yeah. a lot of those vet supplies can be very expensive. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think for your, your sort of basic pet owner, um, you know, to have muzzle, a muzzle, because, you know, if you're dealing with a dog or a cat that uh, is injured, they can turn fractious, even if you know them, um, you know uh basically your general antiseptic that kind of stuff i would not go as far as you know iv bags and syringes i think if if unless you're dealing with like uh an animal that may have renal failure that could be given fluids on a daily basis um you in which you would have you would probably have those iv bags um as i do uh however if the if the animal is in need of an actual IV, 
the animal needs to be taken to a vet. That's something that your average pet owner should not try to take on by themselves. Something I have talked about with a few people in the past um, is training your dogs on some of these things. And it's, uh, you know, when, when you're involved in dog training circles, and I'm, I'm just involved peripherally, but uh, you see a lot of why it's important to teach them it's okay to be in a crate and why it's important, um, you know, with a larger dog to learn how to be in a fireman's carry. Um, is that the kind of thing that you, you know, you would personally spend time on or is it, yes. is it something that's maybe just a little too much? You already said yes. So no, absolutely. <laughs> I absolutely, all of my animals, uh, my personal animals are all crate trained. They're, they, they never spend real any time in, in crates or X pens or anything like that. But yes, I do have them, you know, I periodically put them in a crate and, you know, they're fine with that, and I absolutely think it's in, an invaluable tool um, to train your, your dog and, and your cats. You know, your cats um, should be comfortable with that as well. I mean, you know, cats are a little different of a creature, um, but they should be able to be fairly comfortable. And, you know, keep in mind that when, you, when disaster does strike, um, you know, it's, it's chaotic. So there is going to be a, a certain stress level that you won't be able to take away, but it will be lessened if they're comfortable in the crates. What should people do when they see this kind of thing happening? Whether they're, you know, right outside of Fort McMurray or they're like me here in Southern Ontario. Um, and I, I felt the same way last year when the BC fires started going across really strongly. Um, what is the best way people on the outside can help? People on the outside, I think, can help by sending donations to to legitimate groups i have to emphasize legitimate because unfortunately every situation that i've seen the scammers come out and unfortunately there are people like that and they will take advantage of scenarios um, myself at the onset of this i i did post on on pages um on social media warning people about that you know there was a lady i've heard today just alone people in california are you know gofundme pages and this and that and it's like oh good goodness you know you have to be very careful and and search out and make sure that if you are donating money that it is going to legitimate organizations it shouldn't be going i don't think it should be going to individual people unless you know them well, yeah, and I guess that's more sort of, you know, your neighborhood picks up a collection uh, and you're going to send it to the Humane Society and you all know each other. That That, that is a very yes. different scenario than these uh, sort of fly-by-nights uh, uh, people. Yeah, because everybody wants to get on the bandwagon and, you know, the, the rescue bandwagon. And, you know, as I said, the adrenaline rush is there and they just, some people just get just so into it and it's... Yeah, they, they've got to be very careful. I have to just say, they got to be very careful about where they're sending their money to. Uh, and then finally, people who are going to be going through this process, it's not going to be easy um, from, you know, yourself as someone who may go in to help out to those who are losing pets. As someone who's been through these before, what advice do you offer to those who are either volunteering their time and are going to see and feel and deal with some difficult things through to those who are maybe losing pets? Uh, what do you offer to them? I think from the responder point of view, um, it's important to talk it out with 
with those that are also responding, your, your fellow teammates. Um, I think it's very important to talk out situations, especially if they're, they're not pleasant ones. Um, for the homeowners or the pet owners, um, you know, don't lose hope because I have seen, I have personally been able to deliver um, pets back that we thought were gone. And, you know, as we were discussing, animals are very resourceful, very, very resourceful. And, you know, they will survive if they can. And if they can't, you know, you just got to keep in the back of your mind, I guess, hope that it, it was quick, you know, um, and that's a sad reality. Unfortunately, not everything survives. Um, I'm actually getting goosebumps right now, just thinking back to a couple. Um, but it's, it is the fact some, some will survive and some unfortunately will not. It's, but you know, if they're elderly, um, or compromised in health, um, you know, that unfortunately lessens the, the chances, but I've also seen those guys come through as well. To learn more about volunteering with the Canadian Disaster Animal Response Team or to donate to their national efforts, visit cdart.org. Next up is Louise Leibenberg, a predator-friendly rancher in Alberta who knows the need for plans in case of emergencies, both as a professional decision and through her own personal losses. I think sort of a good place to start is when you have livestock, and whether that's horses or, or in your case, sheep um, and other animals, how how important is it to have some kind of a plan for emergencies, whether it's floods, fires, um, or even just perhaps, you know, um, an electrical storm coming through and you're not too sure about the state of your barn? Yeah, I think it's really vitally important. You know, having a plan... Uh, brings calmness because then everyone knows what they're supposed to be doing. Um, you know, if you've got an emergency, things are really stressed right at that moment and then not knowing what you're going to do is just adds to that stress. So, you know, we have um, various plans uh, for various scenarios um, just so that each of us knows who's doing what, who's going where um, and what the best possibilities are. Well, and that's, you know, and, and I'm going to play city boy here. Uh, and as you know, most of my exposure to farm life comes from uh, John Wayne movies. Um, and whenever there's a fire and Clint Eastwood's around, they just run in and open the barn doors and smack all the animals until they run away. And that's it. But I, how involved is a uh, a plan? I mean, how detailed do you have to be to have something that, that would warrant, you know, having a plan? Yeah, I think anyone, everyone should have a plan for goes down to just the family cat or, you know, livestock. Not every plan is maybe implement, implementable at a certain stage. If you only have an hour's warning, um, you know, that you have to evacuate, there's a lot of things that planning won't help at that moment. If you're trying to move 80 or 90 cows, you're going to need, like, big trucks. You're going to need um, cattle liners coming in. If you're trying to move, like, hundreds of sheep, um, you know, think that really complicates things. If you want to do that, you need days ahead 
um, you've got to have like alternative pastures where you can bring them to. It it really is a very complicated scenario on a um, very short term basis. But if you have a couple of days ahead, um, you know, and you have got a plan, you know, you've got names and addresses of truckers ready that you could say, hey, we need to move 80 cows or 100 cows from High Prairie to wherever you need to go. Um, you know, then you've got time to plan those kind of things. You know where you're heading in that direction. But if you have an hour's notice, it's pretty much going to be, you know, the John Wayne scenario with your your bigger numbers livestock. Like we have a plan, um, you know, in the worst case scenario, short term, you open up all the fences, uh, you have wire cutters with you, you cut open as much as you can and you really whack them on the butt and say, you know, just move, go, you know, get out of the way. Um, that is really your worst case scenario. Um, for a lot of other animals, like what we do is you make sure that all your trucks are fueled up full, your trailers are hooked on, um, you know who, which animal's going where, where you're going to put it, um, you know, load up as much as you can. Just having all those things in place gives a sense of, uh, well, control, even though you don't really have much control at that moment, but at least you're prepared. So, you know, it really depends on how much time you have. Um, you know, in a good situation, if you know that there's a fire headed in your direction and you've got a couple of days, I mean, most farmers have uh, tractors and discs, field discs. You can start disking up the land around the livestock corrals and that that you can create a fire barrier. Um, you can start, like we've got a cat and a hoe, you can start pushing trees down to create space like a, a buffer. You can put in back burns if needs be. So there, there are lots of things you could do, but you need time to be able to do it. Well, so, and I, I guess that's something that when when you're living out on the prairies, you do sometimes have a few days notice. Um, and we know in, in BC when the forest fires uh, are starting, they can kind of track how fast it's moving, in which direction it's going, and give people that time. Yeah. So that that really is an option at times. Um, but in Fort McMurray this week, it just, the wind swept up. It was, I, I believe, uh, one of our supporters wrote, um, and I know you've commented similarly on this, that it, it was just, Alberta has been a tinderbox. It was the perfect storm for this yeah. kind of a wildfire. Yes. And you know, people often forget wildfires are natural occurrences. It's they actually are needed in nature. It's just devastating when it hits communities and farmhouses and, you know, people and animals are impacted by it. Forest fires in the bush are actually necessary. Um, but, you know, you want to uh, make sure that the impact is as little as possible. So, you know, I think the situation like in Slave Lake five years ago and um, Fort McMurray now is the time span is just really short to to be able to do a lot of things. So, you know, I do think you have to have like a short-term and a mid-range and a long-term plan that if you can anticipate, you know, whatever the problem is, if you live close to big rivers like flooding or whatever, that you at least know what you're going to do, where you're going to go. We live at the end of a dead-end road. If a fire comes up the road, we have nowhere to go. And, you know, so we have to make plans for those kind of situations. Like, what are we going to do? If a fire comes up from the south to the north on our road, there's no more roads. So, you know, you have to have wire cutters. You've got to, 
realize you're going to have to go through this farmer's field and that farmer's field before you get onto a road again that you could possibly escape from. We've got in our area, most of our gravel roads have are dead ends. So we only have two roads possibly that you can escape out of. So, you know, it, it definitely needs thought and it definitely needs some planning. Uh, and, and I think what's interesting, there's, I, I think some of the more daunting images, the, the, the more haunting images, sorry, is um, there's one of a young woman riding through what is clearly a path with buildings in the background on her horse with the leads of two other horses trailing behind her. Um, and the caption is that she had no other choice. Uh, she had to get out. This is how she was getting her horses out. And I, it, it makes sense that in an operation the size of yours, where you have much livestock plus sort of your more, your pets, your domestic animals, your working animals, you've got a, a very thorough written plan. But if you're one of these folks, and I know many people uh, around me in southern Ontario, and especially throughout Saskatchewan, Alberta, and BC, they might have one or two horses or a couple of goats. How important is it to have a plan, even when you've got just a few large animals like that? I would always have a plan, you know, no matter, even if you're just in a residential home, because you've got to plan your space as well. If you have to load up a horse and let's say a couple of dogs, uh, the dogs and the horse can't travel in the same area in a stop trailer, so you're going to have to have benches to put the dogs in. Uh, you've got to know, you know, who's going to load the horse. One's going to get stuff, you know, family members. One's going to get the dogs. The other one's going to get um, belongings or passports or whatever they need. Another one's going to go and catch the horse and put it in. You know, you have to know who's doing what so you're not all running around um, kind of lost. Um before you can prepare, like if you know that fire season's starting, maybe you want to braid into the manes of your horses like a name tag, a phone number, that if in the worst case you have to just release that horse and let him fend for himself. If he does get out, if he does find a place to be safe, at least you can track him back down again or somebody can give you a call say, hey, I've got your horse for you. Um, you know, human life goes above animal life so you know you've got to think family first um people first then animals and then stuff you know yeah and that's that's been a very a very difficult concept for a lot of folks to really see in the moment uh unfortunately particularly in the case of fort mcmurray where it's been so sudden and there was a mandatory evacuation emergency workers could not allow people to return to their homes and go um, to the pet or whatever yeah. yeah because they they would then have to i mean not only would they putting themselves at risk but then they also have to consider that emergency workers would have to go in and get those people and the pets if they were unable to get back out um and um it, i i think something else is the aftermath um once this fire is controlled and it will be controlled it's a matter of time whether it burns itself out or they're able to sequester it there's going to be a lot of recovery and a lot of heartbreak. Um, can you put that in perspective for people? What what that's going to be like coming back to to the loss and the the blazes? Yeah. Well, as you know, we had a big bonfire last year. We lost animals in the fire. Um, it is devastating because you you do think of the pain and the agony and the trauma that those animals are going through. Um, you know. During the fire, you always hope, of course, that 
they quickly became unconscious because of smoke or whatever. But, you know, you play that game in your head and you, you think about it and, um, it is very, it is very traumatic to, you know, realize the anguish that happens also for yourself dealing with that kind of aftermath. Um, but you know, you have to move on and you've got to grieve what you lost and hope that things went quickly and you know move on from there but you come back and uh, there's nothing left and it's all smoldering and you know you lose memories you lose pets it 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 makes a big impact in your life that's that's absolutely so and uh, people are resilient uh, you know you rebuild slave lake rebuilt uh, we rebuilt um, you know that's really you don't really have many options you you know sitting and feeling sorry for years on end about it is just not a way forward. It's not mentally good for you. Um, you do have to move on. But, yeah, you know, if if you know things, you can prepare for them. And I think that's the most important, that if you know you can prepare for an emergency situation as best you can, at least you can look back and say, you know, I did all I could. And I think that is um, a calming thought for yourself. That's it for now, folks please do consider donating to the Red Cross or a legitimate organization offering assistance to those in Fort McMurray and consider developing an emergency plan for your household. Until next time, this is Michael Howie for Defender Radio reminding you to stay informed and stay strong.